Hey, this is Shelly. I'm the host of Reads and Weeds. If you've been listening to the show for a while and are enjoying it, please like, subscribe, rate, and review. It really does help. And let me know where you're listening from and how you found out about me. I'm so curious. Hey, it's Reads and Weeds, where we smoke weed and read books. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're reading Fifth Business, which was recommended to me by Kate Britt. And I love it so much, and I haven't seen her in a long time, so I'm super excited. And I just started smoking what I think is Tropicana Nana from mm. some yummy... Local Southeast Michigan caregiver that I will not name for their own protection, but they're real good at what they do. And if you can get a hold of some Tropicana Nana, I highly recommend. Um, one thing I just want to say, if you're out there in the world not in Michigan, is I would love to know what's going on with like home grows in your state. Can you do it? Are people talking about it? Um, or does it seem like really far away or not part of the plan? I'm curious because... Our market is crazy here because of all the dispensaries that are opening and all the caregiver weed that's ended up in the market and weed that's leaked in here from other states. The prices are going crazy. So if you're hearing this and you're in a different state, I'd just message me on Instagram or something and tell me what is going on. So, hi, Kate. Hi, Shelly. How you been? Ah, making it. Day by day. It's a loaded question because <laughs> let me explain that it is the end of January 2022. Hell yeah. Which means we're in sort of like the long boring end, boring <laughs> end of the pandemic. Where everybody's just fucking exhausted yeah. with the whole situation. And we can't even go outside. We can't. We don't trust each other. There's definitely a breakdown in the fiber of society. <laughs> Um, it's true though. And I had to cancel a couple of shows right at the beginning of January cause I got sick and it was a bitch. It was mm. such a big blow. Yeah. I've been missing theater. I've been missing comedy and it's been a blow. If we were this close. I know. Have you been performing, doing stuff? I am on one of the first house teams for the civic, A2 civic theaters improv. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. And so... We've been getting together once a week for a couple months now, and our debut show is currently slated for next Saturday. Oh, so my gosh. I'm excited to get out there. Yay. Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm going to say now that Kate and I met in an improv class at Pointless, which was in 2019. It closed in 2021, sadly, and our community mm. felt all adrift, and other people and places have started forming up to kind of catch all the fallout community and that's really good to see so did you know that I started a civic improv like back in 2013 I didn't know that yeah I was like um started there wasn't any place improv inferno was in downtown mm -hmm. Ann Arbor it closed and I was like shoot I either have to drive to Hamtramck every day or drive mm -hmm. to Ferndale no thank you there wasn't anything going on so I just kind of held these auditions <clears throat> with my friend Luna, and we just put together a troupe mm -hmm. and performed kind of everywhere for a while. Yeah. And then finally, I reapproached. I kept reapproaching Civic because I was doing main uh -huh. stage shows with them, producing and assist directing. Mm -hmm. And they finally were like, "Yeah, have auditions." And yeah. seventy-four people <gasps> showed up. Wow. Yeah. 
That's and so we big. were going to form one troop. I'm like, we mm-hmm. can't. We need to form like five <laughs> troops. So yeah. me and David Widmeyer mm-hmm. um, and you probably know like Allison and Katie mm-hmm. and Nathan and um, all those people, Alex Bergman, all yeah. those people were in that troop, oh, that Ann Arbor Civic Theater troupe. So when Pointless opened, I kind of like just let it let, let it go it. <laughs> because because mm-hmm. I we didn't have a place to hang out. Yeah, we had a place to perform. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a place to hang out. You know, yeah. so I'm so happy when I started seeing it pop up. I was yeah. like, oh my god, I'm so glad yeah. that's back there. It's really encouraging just how much like the Pointless community wants more improv yeah. we, none of us want to drive to Ferndale or Hamtramck right exactly yeah exactly I mean god bless them yeah I just don't want to drive an I hour know. home I know oh and, I, and that, that's the thing is is that drive mm-hmm. forced me to just start it without knowing what I was doing yeah just do it that's how I met Jason <laughs> all of it I hate driving so much I'm starting an improv theater yeah I can get behind that yeah yeah well it's just like I need this just to exist here yeah. and I think other people want it to exist here too yes. I can't be the only one and you know I mean come on it's Ann Arbor we have to be able to support this kind yeah. of thing like, oh of course it it belongs here so yeah, I'm happy yeah. to be a part of it. I'm very, me too, me too. And I miss it like crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, Kate recommended, so let me tell you something about Kate. Um, very smart. We One of the things that we had in common when we met at Improv was we realized we were Southern, both mm-hmm. Southern. You're mm-hmm. from Alabama? That's me. Right. I'm from South Carolina. So we, we said something or picked <laughs> up on an accent. So I was like, hey, I understand your people. <laughs> and then I was looking up stuff about you because I knew you worked at the law library. Oh. and But you started off at Auburn and yes. then went to Alabama. I did. How did you get away with that? Well, <laughs> that I mean, seems like very <laughs> controversial move from people that I yeah. know in the South. It, like, I I felt the full consequences of it. You did? Yes. Did I, I mean, get, was anything burned? Were you chastised? I, did somebody draw something on your face? <laughs> I was How not work? personally harmed. I will say, I've got I get more war eagles in Tuscaloosa oh. than I get roll tides in Tuscaloosa. Oh wow! Just saying. Okay. Um, but I can also point to the fact that Alabama is the only school, like reputable law school and library school in the state of Alabama. Auburn doesn't have those two things. Oh, okay. So I got to go there. There you go. Would you like hmm. to know a fun fact? Yes, I would love to. <laughs> Give so, me. I'm Kate Britt up here. I was Katie Britt. Mm-hmm. In the South, and I went to you don't law need school. That fucking IE. No, thank Come you. Come on. <laughs> Who do you think I am? <laughs> Katie? Do you bring you oh, a fucking some... milkshake? <laughs> Katie. Okay, so no, I'm sorry, I will I'm not a, interrupt. I'm a princess. Carry on. I went to law school with a woman named Katie Britt, and Katie Britt is now running for Senate for the state of Alabama. Shut your mouth. So when I drove home, Every third billboard just said, Katie Britt, U.S. Senate, and had a picture of her. But I wonder how many people that I just, like, have known casually throughout my life just think, like, oh. Hey, if you guys are out there, we really appreciate your support. (laughs) Just start popping up on Kate's Facebook page and tell her that you've got... (laughs) That she's got your vote. Just let's confuse the shit out yeah. of Alabama. Let's it's, do it. There's a lot of potential for confusion. Right. And, I and mean, just like a rom-com. 
like a wacky <laughs> kind of. Oh, yeah. we gotta fix this. We gotta go. Whatever. They accidentally elect a Michigan librarian to be a senator. <laughs> right. Yeah. The possibilities are <laughs> endless. And so I was really excited that she recommended a book because she's got a law degree and she works in a library. Mm-hmm. And so she must know all the books. <laughs> um, and this one I was so surprised by. Yeah. So tell me. Yes, mainly because I'm like, wait, what is this book? Why well, have I never heard of it? You know, mm-hmm. it's from 1970 and I start reading it. Oh, I started listening to it. Okay. And was like... I, this is not what I would expect. Here's mm-hmm. why. Okay. Lately, book recs to me yeah. are about something either overtly or subtly political. Yeah. Or they're... People recommend books to me lately that I think are like self-righteous suggestions. Do you know what okay. I mean? Or they're like... And anyway, I'm like, oh, this is just a good uh-huh. book. Oh, and yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> Yeah. It's great. It's great. No, yeah. it's just a great, fun novel. Great. I'm tell so me, glad you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So tell me why why oh. you recommended it. I mean, I could talk about this book and this trilogy and this author for hours. Well, give give yes. us give us the first little gushing like All this right. is why I love this person blah blah blah. I love I love Robertson Davies. Yeah. So he's he was a Canadian like he lived a lot of lives. He was a newspaper man maybe I don't know and a playwright and an actor and a professor and all these different things and he just writes these novels that are just literary fiction and I've heard them described as like essentially Victorian novels like it's you know they're more like Charles Dickens than they're like anybody else and he wrote three full trilogies that were all based around small town like small fictional towns in Canada there's the Salterton Trilogy, the Deptford Trilogy, which this book is from, and the Cornish Trilogy. And then he actually wrote two more books and died before he finished what would have been the London Trilogy. Wow. And so just I've read, I think, 10 out of the 11 novels he's written, and they're all wonderful. And oh this my is God. my favorite one. This is my favorite trilogy. And I honestly think the third book in this trilogy is like the most exciting one. But oh, my you, God. But you have to go. I can't wait. Yeah, it's great. I love oh, it. I love it. So, I love it. Mm-hmm. And how did you find out about it? Like, how young were mm-hmm. you when you started reading it? I was probably in high school. I know that I learned about it from my dad, and he learned about it from John Irving. Oh, my God. I love John Irving. Yeah. So John Irving was friends with Robertson Davies oh. and was kind of a a champion of him. And I don't know if you've picked up on this. Oh, but it makes so much sense now. Yeah. They're... They're like of a of a piece when it comes to their yes time and style. Oh my gosh, not as wacky, right? Like, mm-hmm. like he his stories are wacky, but John Irving, I feel like, goes into the almost like mm-hmm. magical realism, right? Yeah, slips into there. Yeah, yeah. And so, the world according to Garp is exactly. up there is one of my very favorite books. Yeah. But I read A Prayer for Owen Meany a couple years ago. Yeah. I was not happy about it. Really? It bothered the hell out of me. Oh. And he takes a central event from Fifth Business into A Prayer for Owen Meany. Was it The Rock? Yeah. <gasps> 
the way the I baseball hit so. the woman. Oh my god! And I like thought so. John Irving admitted that at some point, and I'm like, he says he does it. He did it for like you know to, an homage. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just think he stole a really good idea. Oh, well, they were friends. <laughs> yeah, though. that's okay. This this means a lot. Yeah. So I somehow have not read anything by him and I can't believe it because Mm -hmm. I get but I will now you know it's it's I will now so one of the things that um if you love a good novel that it creates a whole a really quick sense of place Mm -hmm. with the town of Deptford Mm -hmm. in Canada and the language is so fun Mm -hmm. um I wrote down some of my favorite language things yeah. and setting things right um and basically what you're reading and you realize this very quickly i think in the first 12 pages is that a story is starting of a man telling his life story starting in his little village and then you realize that he's writing it sort of as a letter mm-hmm. in defense of himself mm-hmm upon his retirement because he thinks they did a shitty write-up <laughs> yeah. and that unfolds and as that perspective gets in a line you're like wow he's really laying this out but I get why you know because the way he ties it all together and it's very expansive and it covers the period of time between like I don't know 1918 18 and 1968 like or 1908 1908 I think is the first yes scene yes and then like yeah right up to about 1970 yeah when it was published yeah yeah it's awesome and I just realized like I don't know anything about Robertson Davies mm-hmm. I don't know what do you know about him like what was yeah. his lifestyle did he grow up in Canada who what's yeah. he like I, I, I don't know like all of the details i know essentially he grew up in a small town i think ontario you know in the yeah. area yeah and yeah and he was an actor and a writer and he he worked in a school like the thing about this book is that the main character very closely mirrors a lot of robertson davies okay and um it's hard for me sometimes to get to keep those two separate yeah, uh, but he was at the University of Toronto. I think there's a library named after him or something. It's kind of a a, a what, what's the word a pilgrimage that I want to take one day. Oh, I've never been to Toronto, but to see. Oh my Robertson God, Davies. I wanted to go on a John Irving pilgrimage mm. because he has he names all these northeastern towns, right? Mm-hmm. Little schools and things like yeah. that. I'm like, oh, I want to go see what that little area is like because Mm -hmm. it seems so but it's just the great writing it's just the great writing so Mm -hmm. there's some significant events in this book and it starts with uh this lifelong friend but right now they're children percy boyd stanton Mm -hmm. they're messing with each other after school throwing snowballs or percy is throwing them at who starts off to be Dunstable. Dunstable Ramsey. And Dunstable Ramsey. <laughs> and he's a Scot for generations. And, oh, I can't wait to talk about how he describes, like, his family yeah. and people and mm-hmm. Christianity. <laughs> Holy shit. I love it. <laughs> but the incident that's happening is there's a pregnant preacher's wife. And even that explanation of, like, 
she smiled too much for a pregnant woman. Yeah. <laughs> she, the, the, you know, it, it was like the, I think I even put this quote down. I'll try to find it because mm-hmm. there's something about they're describing her as if something's terribly wrong with her. Probably she's yeah. just sort of relaxed and happy. <laughs> they don't understand it because they're yeah. so Presbyterian mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> that small town yes. morality is like Roberts and Davies' bread and butter. Oh, yeah. Like judgment. Yes. When people aren't exactly like they're supposed to be. Oh, right. And that's a lot of people's stories. The interesting people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's why we love, that's mm-hmm. why we love shit like this. So <laughs> this woman gets hit in the head with a rock that was meant for, it was in the middle of a snowball that was meant for Dunstable. He dodges it. It hits this woman who's then suddenly going into labor and she delivers way prematurely and Dunstable's mom sort of nurses this baby back to life and the mother is forever altered. Mm-hmm. Or is she? That's the, one of the yeah. things where I'm like, <laughs> is she just so different than them that yeah. they don't understand her? Or is she actually like a simpleton? Or she just doesn't yeah. have any shit to do in this town and so she wanders around. <laughs> She's kind of a freak. Like, I, I can't tell. I can't tell. It is kind of hard to tell, like, how simple was she to begin with? It does It does feel like she's not really in her right mind. I don't know. It, it's hard because the whole book kind of makes you think there's the possibility of people who are more than just people. They are, you know, right. saint-like. Right, right. <laughs> Right. Well, here's the thing that can only really happen in that kind of setting, Mm -hmm. where someone's an oddity, and everybody just labels them an oddity, Mm -hmm. and literally like, okay, we're just going to call this person what we think she is, (laughs) and damn the child, you know, as like a strange thing, because... um, because he was. He was was premature, and he barely lived, and they had to Mm -hmm. keep him in this little like incubator tent that they made with steaming bricks yes boiling water yes such a scene man mm-hmm. such a scene it's a and devil. And, no it's so weird <laughs> and then okay so th- this is very important because this establishes this really there's so many every every it's like the opening of a great sitcom when uh-huh. every single plot line is laid out <laughs> in the first scene like the relationship between Boyd and Dunstable and then the relationship between Dunstable and the mother mm-hmm. and then the baby mm-hmm. and who the baby ends up being and how he ends up caring for the baby uh-huh. Leola Crooks everybody's there in the first <laughs> scene dude it's so good. Yeah, he knows how to set up relationships. It's like a great improv set. Oh yeah. You know who they are, yeah. what they want to eat from each other. Um, there is uh, in the very first. So, so this is what I love. Is um, it seems so simple in retrospect, all the ways <laughs> that that he set it up. You mm-hmm. know, so um, he says uh, like. Dunstable is racked with guilt. Mm-hmm. He's da- he feels damned because the woman got hit with a snowball. 
Yeah. He cannot handle it. You know, he feels damned. Mm -hmm. And he also kind of wants Percy Boyd Staunton to get in trouble a little bit, but isn't going to call him out. And each day that they don't do it, Mm -hmm. it seems like, why would I do it now? And everybody's already settled and now they're focused on the baby and... Mm -hmm. But they early on make a decision. Remember yeah. Boyd says something like, yeah, nothing happened. That's what you better believe yeah. from here on out. And so they mm-hmm. know they're holding this lie. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's this lifelong, them holding on to this sets the stage for the rest of their lives, the rest of Paul, the baby's life. And... So I was reading about this book. Okay. Robertson Davies, this whole trilogy is based on like Jungian psychology and archetypes and whatever. What? Now, yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on there. (laughs) Okay, okay. And actually, if you read, if you, which I hope you do, go on to the Manticore, the second one, that is explicitly like a lot of Jungian stuff. Okay. Um... I don't know if I'm saying that right. I don't know anything about. It's Y-O-U-N-G-I-Y-A-N, uh, right? Yep. Jungian, that's, right? That's how you say yeah, it. That's how you spell yeah. it. And it's a brand of yoga pants. Is that right? <laughs> Correct. Jungian. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We're on the exact same page. Everything's fine. If you're talking about the philosopher, J-U-N-G, is that yeah. what you're talking about? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I think that's the same, too. Him, too. Yeah. So there's there's a... I, I read this like most of a master's thesis about all of those uh, different elements coming in and out of each other. And it just brought out how throughout the whole memoir, which is what like Dunstable Ramsey, later known as Dunstan Ramsey, yeah. is writing his memoir. Yeah. And he ha- he he is framing himself to be like, both fifth business, which he defines as yes, yes. this like it's kind of a third wheel situation, just like not an important character. Right. He calls himself that, but he also is making himself a hero throughout the entire book. Yes. yes. And pretending like he's not. Right. But that's why he has to write this in response to the bad review he right, you know, right, the bad right. write up. And he's like, No, actually I'm I've got a lot going on. I was just fifth business, you know, nothing special. Right. And so from the very beginning, the way that he holds on to the stone and he holds on to the secret that it was Percy who threw it, because he never tells anybody Right. when they're asking about it. It's like he's kind of... He's setting it up where he's keeping secrets. Like that is what he, he's everybody's confidant. And so like even just that very beginning, he's keeping secrets. And at the same time, Percy is forgetting everything. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems to actually forget it. Just like whatever. Yes, yes. Yes. And and they're so, they're such relatable characters. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows somebody living their life that way. Definitely. You can see it. Yeah. They're like, that's where they come from. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's holding on to guilt. Mm-hmm. He's holding on to kind of like, this is the secret between us. Mm-hmm. And he also has some things he can't really say about 
like he's sneaking around mm -hmm. uh, with Mary in a way, right? Yeah. With Mrs. Dempster. Yeah. And that's sort of a secretive thing too, right? Yeah. At a certain point, he's forbidden from going there. Right. And he, but he still does. And he's like just obsessed with her. Yeah. But he holds on to, because he has all of that guilt. And it's yeah. like this weird guilt because he feels like he's responsible for her condition. Yeah. But also he's obsessed with her. <laughs> I know. It's so weird, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's such a weird little story. Like it's, you have to assume like there's certain things you just have to accept. But like mm -hmm. if you're in a tiny small town yeah. and there's nothing to do. Yeah. You might crawl in a window to hang out <laughs> with a woman who's like died. Yeah. To a post. Mm-hmm. Because you're bored and lonely, yeah. and she's more interesting than other people. It's like and completely acceptable. She's a much more acceptable mother figure to him than his mother, who he feels like he can't please. Right. And who beats the shit out of him for right. hanging out with her. Well, it's, you know what? It was just, that, that was interesting because they paint this mother as like very dutiful this is a really strange thing about this book and the people in this village is they paint this mother as like she'll do anything to take care of the baby and she's mm -hmm. really selfish and she can selfless and she makes them meals and all this kind of stuff but as soon as mary gets caught with the tramp guy mm -hmm. yeah all the women in the yeah. village just turn on her and yeah. they won't they kick him out and they mm -hmm. won't help him at all anymore mm -hmm. and she ends up tied to the post yeah. or whatever yeah holy crap that was you know it's one thing to be a mother in need it's another thing to be oh, a, whore. a whore a whore oh my god okay so i have to mm -hmm. read some of these um mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with his writing um and and there's there's so much subtle, constant humor because of the way he's describing the things. Okay, so right away. Our village was so small that you came on it all at once. It lacked the dignity of outskirts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had never heard married people or any people speak in ashamedly loving words before. <laughs> And I was thinking, um, I totally remember this time as a child, yeah. like growing up in sort of a small Southern Baptist mm -hmm. town. And there was like, maybe like your grandmother might be overly affectionate to you, but yeah. you just didn't see like husbands and wives yeah. being super affectionate to each other or fathers and sons. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't like brothers hugging. Do no. you know what I mean? There was some wrestling. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was some shouting. But yeah. it was like, I remember thinking that too. Like, what's wrong with this? Are they weak? <laughs> are they crazy? Yeah. Why are they crying and laughing? <laughs> is, that, is that okay for everyone? You know, I totally, I get it. It seems ridiculous, but I totally get it. Oh, yeah. Um, has he ever been called quirky? What the fuck was the quirky thing? I don't know. That was strange because. Right? He, and where does it even come up? In the, he's he's saying like, I'm gonna tell you this whole story because of this dumb write yeah. up for my retirement, and the guy that wrote the write up yeah. keeps calling him Corky. Yeah, but like that's the only place in like the whole book. Right. It's very strange, and so right. It, There's never a reference of no. Cork 
or nicknames <laughs> no. or anything at all. Like, what the fuck is that? It's There's a lot of little spots where when someone else is speaking, we get a light on what Ramsey actually is like to other people. When it's not him saying what he is, it's right. like Boyd Staunton that talks about how he sticks his finger in his ear all the time and like yes, other you're people. You're weird. You're queer. Yeah. You're, you're strange. Yes, yes. Other people's descriptions of him are not really in line with the way he presents himself. Oh my God. And so it's like he manages to fuzz up some of the, some of the finer details right. of his life. Oh my God. But yeah, the essay I was reading pointed out that cork is something that would keep secrets in. Oh. Keeps it all bottled up. What? There's like a little bit of a... There's me- Okay. Robertson Davies, I mean, Dickensian is right. Like he doesn't fuck around with names. Like names oh, yeah. all have meaning. Yeah. So. Dunstable. Dunstable. Dunny. And boy. Yeah. His name was Boy. He dropped the D mm-hmm. and just was Boy his whole life. It's like, well, there you go. That story's told. <laughs> that story's told. Um, oh, this, this is another thing. Mm-hmm. The de- definition of a man. So yeah. he's telling the story as the headmaster of a school that he's been at for 45 years and he's retiring. And he starts the story, for, for the reader, the story starts well before that because he's a young boy mm-hmm. and it ends way after well you know as he's retiring from being this after all having all sorts of worldly adventures so um he has been the headmaster of school though for 45 years and there's this impression that like he fumbled into it mm-hmm. and just ended up there mm-hmm. and he's saying like wait a minute let me tell my whole story right because he had one friend that was like more famous than him and he was sort of known as that guy's sidekick and he was you know and even though he authors all these books it's a very interesting look at a life Mm -hmm. through oh my god okay I just got like (laughs) oh I can't take it it's too big it's so good it's so good (laughs) I love this book I'm like wait I can't uh, this is his he says have the writers any notion or true collection of what a boy is I have I have reinforced it by 45 years of teaching boys a boy is a man in miniature and though he may sometimes exhibit notable virtue as well as characteristics that seem to be charming because they are childlike he is also schemer self-seeker traitor Judas crook and villain in short a man oh those autograph biographies in which the writer postures and simpers as a David Copperfield or a Huck Finn faults as harlot's oath (laughs) And so then he's, then he's like, can I truly write of my boyhood? Or will that disgusting self-love, which so often attaches itself to a man's idea of his youth, creep in and falsify the story? I can but try. And to begin, I must give you some notion of the village in which Percy Boyd Staunton and Paul Dempster and I were born. Right? So it's so good. So mm-hmm. quickly in, he's telling yeah. you, I'm telling you a story. I'm telling you through this lens. I'm yeah. telling you that I understand this lens. Yeah. But I also need to tell you about the relationship between these three boys who mm-hmm. are now men. Mm-hmm. And 
because he's writing this right after a strange murder. Yes. Or is it a murder? Or a suicide or an accident or a magic trick. <laughs> a little bit of everything. What is it? And you don't find out until the very end. <laughs> what? I was not yeah. expecting that. It's like a mystery novel, too. It's great. Dude, I didn't see that coming at <laughs> yeah. all. Because the stone is not mentioned. No. Until the end of the book. Right. It was in the snowball in the first scene. Yes. But you don't. You just thought it was a snowball. You just thought Percy Boyd's son threw like a hell of a snowball and and Uh. caused a child to be born. But no, there was a stone in it. But but that Ramsey, just like he did his entire life, holds on to that secret, holds it from the reader. Oh, my God. And doesn't doesn't let it go and doesn't tell Boyd boy that he has it and doesn't tell Paul that he has it until right there at the very end. Yeah, because that's his power. That's yeah. That's where he. That's where he, that's what he like thrives on is is keeping secrets of his own and of everybody right. else's. Right. Or being the one who can keep someone's confidence, mm-hmm. and he's 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 placed that as a value in himself. Mm-hmm. He's like it's made him valuable, and he's him and Percy Boyd are kind of the the kids growing up in this town with a lot of promise. One mm-hmm. because he's like the. His father owns the printing, and maybe he's going to do that, but he's also smart enough to work at the library, and he's got a quick wit, and he's pretty, you know. But then Boy, who's naturally charismatic and Mm -hmm. easy with people and everything, and then... And rich. Rich. His dad is a sugar beet. uh, Yeah, a rising sugar beet tycoon, but in that kind of... I can't enjoy my wealth because I'm too religious kind of way, right, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, there's no booze. Right, no car, well, and cards are forbidden in that area, that's mm. how. So so the trajectory of these three lives, oh, he keeps it wound up so well, mm-hmm. even though Paul, the baby that was born that day, Mm-hmm. Paul Dempster is out of the picture for so long. Yeah. 30 years? How long? Something like that? Something like that. He runs away with the circus when he's 10. Oh, right. And I think it may have been more like 15 or so. Because throughout uh, Ramsey's life, he'll be just in some random foreign country (laughs) and decide to go to a magic show. Yeah. And then be like, oh, shit, that's that baby that I raised. Happens all the time. Yeah. That happens like multiple times. And so Uh, you get these glimpses of Paul and he's he's developing skills as a magician. And he's like changed his name and he'll change his whole persona. Yeah. And, And you just see him like in these flashes decades apart from each other. Yeah. And so the woman who got hit in the head... Had the baby. The baby almost died because it was so premature. It lived, but it was misshapen. Mm. And kind of Dunstable, the writer, main character, protagonist, is sort of the caretaker of this child for a while. And when he's four and Dunny is 14, 
Dunny realizes that this kid is kind of like a natural musician, natural magician, natural mm-hmm. sleight of hand. <laughs> he can roll little coins around on his little baby hands. And so he's his first magic teacher. Yeah. So he's in this strange relationship with his family <laughs> where he's kind of like the magic teacher to this baby. <laughs> And sort of a friend to the mom who might not be all there and Mm -hmm. is tied to something. Yeah. And the dad is a preacher who's sort of slowly going mad. Yeah. His dad is, or not Dunstable's dad, but Paul Dempster's dad. dad. Abasa? Amasa. That's as close as I would get. Amasa. Yeah. But he is... Like praying in front of his family about how much of a burden they are to him. Well, hey, he's saying like God can take them. Basically, yeah. if they're not strong enough to live, then <laughs> they're ready to go because they're both sanctified. And they're like, "What the hell, man? Um, they might live." Um, um, God, I I have a different opinion <laughs> about this. Oh, this is pretty funny. This is just about Deptford, and I mm-hmm. love it because there's a lot of. Um, assumptions what I love is when you try to capture a place and give a really clear picture of how simple people are or how judgmental people are or how what expectations people have for their lives or whatever and this is great Uh, by far the majority of the Deptford people had come to western Ontario from the south of England so we were not surprised they looked to us the Ramses for common sense prudence and right opinions on virtually everything (laughs) because like he he they his family kind of thinks highly of themselves because they're Scots Mm -hmm. and they um, run the newspaper so they're like the literary liaison to the to the community you know so they have a debt to people Mm -hmm. um oh here's another another of this and then i want to hear more from you Mm. okay because i'm realizing i'm just all over the place okay (laughs) so um this is one of the cruelties of the theater of life we all think of ourselves as stars and rarely recognize it when we are indeed mere supporting characters or even supernumeraries (laughs) right and this is the the fifth business Mm -hmm. thing and I want to hear you talk more about that. Oh, well, I think that fifth business is a phrase that Robertson Davies made up or a term he made okay. up. Okay, I thought it was in the, you don't think it was in the opera, the way that Lazel says at the end? Well, so so the way she describes it, it's like you have the hero and his female, you know, yeah. counterpart, and then you have the villain and his female counterpart. And then there's someone else who stirs the pot and makes shit happen. And that person is fifth business. Yeah. But like the, in the, what is it? Epigraph, the opening of the book, there is a quote that allegedly de- defines it. It says, these roles, those roles, which being neither those of hero nor heroine, confidant nor villain, but which were nonetheless essential to bring about the recognition or the denouement, were called the fifth business in drama and opera companies organized according to the old style. A player who acted these parts was often referred to as fifth business. And it gives a name and like a book title. Okay. But Robertson Davies has admitted to making this up. Oh. <laughs> oh. So... 
it's like it seems to be a thing that exists <coughs> and he is just coining a term for it oh i love that i well, do too i guess why why wouldn't you just make yeah. it up if it could be something now. Let's it, keep it. <laughs> like I, I like it. I like it too. I like it. That's like I, I accept the, the phrase third wheel. Like sure. I think like third wheel. Somebody just said that once. Yeah. Meaning like yes. I'm the extra person in this. Yeah. Yes. Fifth business. I get it. Plus it makes sense with the structure of a, you need that person to come mm-hmm. in and change the scene. Yeah. The fifth business does the scene wipe. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they go like. Yeah. They're like. You They're know, not actually. They, they change the scene. They don't have to be the main character in the scene. Yeah. They just have to be like... They don't get a lot of laughs. They don't get, no, you know, they applause. Right. But they, you you can't you can't go on without them. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, okay. So, I wonder... Uh, this is what was so entertaining about this book, and I needed this so bad because I've been reading... <laughs> either factual things or heavily spiritual yeah. things. Yeah. And um, this was just a ride. Yeah. Like, he g- lies about his age to go to war uh-huh. at what, 15? 15 and it seems 16. like the decision was rash, right? Yeah. Like he was just trying to prove something to his mom or something. Is that that sounds right. Yeah. He goes... To war, and he explains this. Um, I wanted to see what you thought about this. He very, I'll, I'll see if I can find it, but mm-hmm. this guy's writing this in 1970 about World War One, mm-hmm. and he's saying, like, this he's describing like the lure of war was kind of because nobody understood what war was, like, it was yeah. during a time when you just didn't, yeah, know what war was, so when you were at war you really had no idea what the war was about or how decisions were being made. You were just like wallowing in mud and dead bodies and moving forward in a stupor, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that chapter of that book is called I Was Born Again or something. Mm -hmm. I Have a New Life or I Was Born Again or something like that. Um, and it's because he ends yeah. up in a coma. I am born again. I am born again. Mm-hmm. He ends up in a coma um, after being blown up on the front, losing his leg, and, you know, his nurse back to health. And his life after that, I think, mm-hmm. is, like, completely different, right? He doesn't want any attachments. He, it's yeah. not like he's missing his family or his hometown. He's, yeah. like... He... he yeah, he becomes a new person. He so when he wakes up from the coma, he's like nursed to health by this woman. Yeah. Who he loses his virginity to. Yeah. He finds out that his parents died. Yeah. And so like he doesn't have any family. Oh yeah. His brother had pandemic. already died. The flu pandemic yeah. happens, by the way. Uh-huh. By the way, <laughs> ever it heard was, of it? <laughs> you heard of one of those? It was <laughs> happening. And this is, it was like a side story in this. Oh, yeah. It was like, oh, all of this whole book and two pages of it mm-hmm. were two years when the flu killed a whole bunch of people. Sure. And next. <laughs> and then He next. wasn't there. Ah, <laughs> I know. Well, it was everywhere. Yeah. It was everywhere. But anyway, the town was already tiny. His mom and dad died. Mm-hmm. His brother had already died in World War One. Oh, right. Yeah. 
Oh my God, that's right. Right. So he was out of family at that point. Yeah. And that's when Diana, the woman that he's uh, flirty with, gives him a new name also. Right. And that's when he's Dunstan. Yeah. Which is much easier to say. I love that character. Diana? The Diana character. And I love the fact that they kind of just go, this is what I want. That's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. Do you want to still be friends? <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. Like, I feel like that's how that went. Yeah. And I wish I could have read more stuff like that uh -huh. at a younger age, you know? Yeah, that you can just have, like, a really level-headed conversation mm -hmm. about your relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a you hard thing to come want. by. <laughs> Ask for what you want. Oh, Expect yeah. to be listened to. Yeah. Wow. It's a wild idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me what you think about all this. Um, two things. One is the saints theme. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? Yeah. Um, like, is it triggered just by the women in his life and the thing when he's dying, you know, on the battlefield? Mm -hmm. Or is there so much more? Is it the childhood book? Like, what is it? What's... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I have like an answer for that because so he's so he read the lives of the saints as yeah. a kid. He was like, I love this stuff. I'm a Presbyterian, right. so I'm not supposed to. And he actually gets kicked out of the Baptist house yes. because it was evil. But then I really eat one of these olive crisps. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but the paper's going to be noisy. I'm just going to... It's what it, what's that thing that you do? Uh, ASMR. Oh, maybe it'll be neat. Yeah. Let's just see. I think I like that. Mm, people are going to love that. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm eating this home, like, this traditional olive oil crisp. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, carry on. Sorry, I got transfixed. Oh, no. I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like the saints thing. So Dunstan believes that the woman, Mary Dempster, is, like, has the qualifications to be a saint. Like, he, he is, at one point, his brother dies, and she seems to coax him back to life. Oh, right. Which is wild. Right. And um, he sees it. Yeah. He sees it. He's, like, not breathing. And they say yeah. that they end up saying, like, he had a seizure, right? Right. That's they, how they explained it. Right. So he's the only person with his brother who's got some illness. And, like, he stops breathing. He holds the mirror up in front of his nose. He checks his pulse. Like, there are no signs of life. He goes and gets right. Mrs. Oh, Dempster. right. Yeah. Because everybody else is at, like, the... the Fair or something. The fair or something. Yeah. Right. Oh my god. Okay. So like, literally, his mom is at the fair, but the person that he goes to is Mrs. Dempster, right? And like unties her from her sure. house. Got to untie her. First. Yeah. And then she, she like just prays over the boy, and he comes back to life. But maybe he was just having a seizure. Yeah. So that's what the we doctors say. Right. How do they know? How does anybody know? Like, and when you think about what makes a miracle a miracle, mm -hmm. like I think about if you, 
if you're living in, where am I thinking? Not the Philippines. In Indonesia, when the tsunami hit, right? Sure. And all of a sudden, one day, just 200,000 people died, mm-hmm. right? And you're just a kid, and you don't under, understand anything about weather or whatever. Like, that was some catastrophic life-changing shit there do you know what I mean you'd have of to course. have some story in your mind mm-hmm. to deal with it so if you're a little kid yeah and you see your brother brought back to life yeah by someone mm-hmm. who also has been a mystical character in your mind since you were even smaller child mm-hmm. you know and yeah. and then they come into place you, you know mm-hmm. what I mean like she keeps coming into these yeah having strange influences on him mm-hmm so, yeah, and it it builds from that, where when he's in a time of crisis during the war, he sees a vision, he sees an actual statue of the Virgin Mary, but he sees Mary Dempster's face at that moment on the statue, and then he, like, passes out, and that's when he goes into the coma. But he takes this as, like, a vision of a saint who appeared to him and was there in his time of need. And then like later he finds out something else. And, but his search after the war, he goes around to look at statues of the Virgin Mary all over Europe, just to see if he can find the, the actual one that he saw in that church. And he just becomes like really knowledgeable about iconography and obsessed with saints, and that just becomes his whole life. And so, I don't know, it's a, it's a really interesting like look at a guy who, he wasn't Catholic, he wasn't brought up in that world, but he almost, ha- he had the experience of like a spontaneous religious experience that is where saints come from Mm -hmm. like without having it's not like he went to church and he were you know he prays to saint so and so and so and so and so like somebody that hopes someday they'll get to speak in tongues so they keep trying every once in a while yeah yeah but he just like it just happened to him and he's trying to make sense of it by just intensely studying all the other saints and where they came from and like trying to get at the root of them like because they'll, through time and tradition, rituals and, and, and beliefs related to saints evolve. And he's trying to track them back to where they came from. So that's part of why he ends up going to a carnival with a, a bearded lady where he sees Paul Dempster for the first time. Yeah. Because he's tracking down a, a saint who... Is he in Mexico or Germany the first time? I think that was in Germany. Right. Oh, my God. He's such an odd. It's so weird to be inside the ordered mind mm-hmm. of a strange person, you know, <laughs> because it's a very ordered mind. Like the mm-hmm. thoughts are like, I'm going to do this next and this next. Yeah. And this is what I care about. And I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. And it's very ordered. Mm-hmm. But outwardly, that person. He's a, you know, he's a weirdo. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely a weirdo. Oh, yeah. If, and the thing is, is I love the character of. Is her name Lysel? Yes. Lysel? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, this thing right here. Yeah. Girl. I know. It's so damn good. It looks... Anything in a little wax paper wrapper 
I, I have, I believe is going to be good. Um, Paul works at this mushroom farm, mm-hmm. and the ladies across the street every once in a while come over and bring them treats. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that just the cutest thing you've ever heard? I want a job where people bring me treats. Yeah. Nobody brings you treats at the library? <laughs> uh, I mean, like, other people that work there. Oh. I, I want someone to try to curry favor with me. Oh, you know? wow. <laughs> Is okay. That, oh, should I not be... As your senator for the great right. state of Alabama, <laughs> I'm just looking for someone to bring me sweet treats. Oh my God, it's like you're running. So so let that person just keep running for senator, but you run like you're running for like president of the third grade. Yeah. Just like hand out Snickers. <laughs> and, Kool-Aid and, like, and all the water fountains. More recess for everybody. Yeah. I bet a lot of it would work, actually. I mean. Less homework, more recess. Everybody <laughs> wants the same things. It, and that's your platform absolutely right yeah you, you have a, a yeah. keen eye for what the south needs yeah yeah i would there's i don't think there's do you watch ozark i saw the first season oh my god we just started like the the season just started on friday the oh. one that everybody's been waiting on is we, okay. we watched the other season yeah and watching uh, you know spoilers everybody mm-hmm. ozark spoilers coming at you <laughs> right now but like if you're out there in pandemic land and you're like boy my finances are crazy and my personal hygiene habits are questionable and maybe i'm I've... sitting right here <laughs> you're talking about me again and you're like hanging on by a thread and you're like i need to get my shit together so you watch ozark and you realize like there's these well-to-do beautiful people living on a lake with the most fucked up lives in the entire world <laughs> and they are buying midwestern politicians in mm. the show uh. and it's like i'm really glad this is a show it's a little it's definitely a little on the nose it's true. just yeah yeah for sure yeah nothing like that not could happen. based in reality oh my god oh my god but the thing is is it's just a really good fucking story. You yeah. know, it's interesting because reading this, mm-hmm. you, you just need to see some human thing. Yeah. Like, I'm nothing like a headmaster mm-hmm. in a boys' school who lost his leg during the war and his parents and brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I'm not obsessed with saints. But he's such a relatable guy because he's... He's sure of himself because he thinks he's heading down this, like, right, mm-hmm. honest, kind of logical, yeah. spiritual path. He's trying to yeah. be good. He admits his flaws, yeah. but and there's always an excuse for them. Sure. Like, he, he, tr- he thinks that he's painting himself in this particular right. way. Right. That he is, like, a victim of circumstance. And yeah, but also I think it's kind of matter of fact, like yeah. this happened, that happened. Like if you mm-hmm. start off young with like, uh, there were no circumstances like that in my life at that <laughs> age, right? No. At True. all. Nothing. There was some yeah. drastic circumstances, but sure. nothing bizarre like that where you're yeah. like, oh, that would shape a kid. <laughs> That's that what that kid's going to be now. They're going to be that kid. <laughs> Who climbed to the window to handle the lady tied to the rope and 
teach your son magic tricks and meet up with him <laughs> a million years later. That's what just, that's what your life's going to be. And you believe yeah. it. It's like, of course, that's what his life's going to be. Of course. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Let's just talk for a minute about Leola and the love triangle. Sure. So there's a girl in town. Of course, like there's only like 400 people in the town. So there's two <laughs> that are possibly cute yep. one who's considered a whore you know whatever <laughs> and then so they both him and his buddy both like leola and 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 first percy starts dating her mm-hmm. right and then percy goes away first to the war he goes to boarding school oh he goes to boarding school and yeah. so when he signs up for boot camp mm-hmm. um he comes back in his uniform and he starts parading around with leola yeah right yeah ramsey so I mean, the rivalry is already there. Yeah. Of course. And and she's mm-hmm. not that bright, I think. <laughs> um, she doesn't really, she's not really, like, set up to expect to have a mind of her own in any no. way. That's just not the circumstances yeah. that she was born into. She was just bred to be a Deptford housewife. Yeah. Not leave the small town. Yeah. And just, yeah. And seems to have no ambitions or leanings in that direction ever. Ever. No. Right? She resists it as much as she can. Yeah. One thing he is really good at is making, and this is, it sounds like such a low bar to hit. <laughs> you know, like I'm saying it, I'm like, well, this should be a no-brainer. But distinguishable hmm. female characters not really based on the looks as their distinguishing characteristics yeah. like it's not like she's the tall brunette yeah. and she's Very the fiery true. redhead it's like this one is the one from the small town who's mm-hmm. you know parents did this and this was expected of her and this was how she responded to everything around her and then this was diana and yeah. she was the ch- person that changed him and mm-hmm. taught him about sex and all that kind of stuff lizel is like this he goes all in on her looks. Though. Oh, yeah. But I can't even figure out what he's describing. I'm yeah. just picturing, you know who I picture as somebody like Brigitte Nielsen? Oh, okay. But way more extreme. You yeah, know just like I mean? a really. Like, like a, like a, just a super dramatic. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, oh my God, in a season of, you know what? I'm just thinking of all these like really thin, beautiful, androgynous. Yeah. grossly tall models (laughs) you know what i mean where you're like is that attractive or is it grotesque i don't know you know right well is that the impression you get of i get it actually i i have the same cast oh who would you cast that's an interesting question because the picture in my head of her speaking of the world according to garp is the same picture i have of roberta muldoon of like a linebacker build Oh, with, uh, but like with a, I I don't have a clear face image. Okay. Um, so I don't, I don't know who I, and saying that I would hate to insult any person acting out there today. (laughs) Right. By, by casting a, a Well, the thing is, is you want to, I would, I would say, I think Lysel is tall and mm-hmm. extremely angular and yeah. androgynous. Okay. I like that. Right? That And that's like severe commanding. Yeah. But I didn't really see them as wide, just like tall, maybe like broad. So I will say... Sturdy. Lysel returns 
in a later book oh, in the series. What? So okay. my picture of her is informed by oh. I think we get a little bit more of her history. Okay. Which okay. is great. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about um Wanderlust for a second. Okay. Because there's something delicious about this novel that Yes. I haven't been able to travel in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I booked passage to... He's just oh always like, I'm going to go find some more saints. And just goes <laughs> traipsing off around the world. And it just sounds so delicious. Yeah. Just okay. like the nerdy strolling around of mm-hmm. wherever. Staying in a monastery over here. Going to a yeah. hotel over there. It's yeah, it's the life. It is. And then ends up in Germany and goes mm-hmm. to this magic show. And it's like, wow, this performer's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the scene's really basic and all that, but this performer is really good and has style. Mm-hmm. And realizes that it's Paul Dempster, who ran away when he was 10 years old. <laughs> and he hasn't seen him since the war. It's weird. They're in a different mm-hmm. country. What are the fucking chances? And he was his first magic teacher. I know. Isn't that exciting? It's wonderful. I love connections like that. Well, I love the connections of like, so he was the saints and he taught him like the influence, Mm -hmm. who influenced who throughout the story is really fun to look at. Yeah. You know, knowingly or unknowingly. Mm -hmm. And... Like, how they think of it. Mm -hmm. Like, boy is not thinking of the consequences of his actions ever that I can tell. (laughs) Except, will this get me more power, money, influence, whatever. Ladies. Ladies. Um, But other than that, he's Mm -hmm. not going, will this hurt anybody? No, not at all. Will this cost too much? Is this an inconvenience to any other person in the world? No. Doesn't care. Nope. Doesn't care. Moving forward. Mm-hmm. And his character is so... I feel like everybody can relate. This is what's great about this book is it's about 50 years old, mm-hmm. right? And it's about, you know, a time period long ago. Um, and the characters are so the same. Yeah. Just, <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Especially when um, there's this whole passage. Do you know the one I'm talking about? About people who are good at making money, who are talented at making money. Yes. I. Did you write it down? I think I I wrote it down. I would be so happy if you did. Yeah, I can find it. He's talking about how him and Boy have this relationship throughout life where... Boy is always really good at just making money. He can make the biggest business deals. He can Mm -hmm. take his sugar beet plants and get them into sugar pop and sugar cereal and sugar everything. (laughs) And, and, you know, Boy's just kind of, I mean, Dunny is just kind of acknowledging that Mm -hmm. that's a certain kind of talent. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of some super duper amount of hard work that anyone should be able to do. So, yeah. Did you find it? Yeah. Good. Can, want me to read yes. the whole thing? Read it. They were a strange lot, these moneyed, influential friends of boys, but they were obviously interesting to each other. 
They talked a lot of what they called politics, that there was not much plan or policy in it, and they were worried about the average man, or as they usually called him, the ordinary fellow. This ordinary fellow had two great faults. He could not think straight, and he wanted to reap where he had not sown. Oh my god. I never saw much evidence of straight thinking among these capitalists, but I came to the conclusion that they were reaping where they had sown, and to what they had s- and that what they had sown was not, as they believed, hard work and great personal sacrifice, but talent, a rather rare talent, a talent that nobody, even its possessors, likes to recognize as talent, and therefore not available to everybody who cares to sweat for it, the talent for manipulating money. How happy they might have been if they had recognized and gloried in their talent, confronting the world as gifted egotists, comparable to painters, musicians, or sculptors. But that was not their style. They insisted on degrading their talent to the level of mere acquired knowledge and industry. They wanted to be thought of as wise in the ways of the world and astute in politics. They wanted to demonstrate in themselves what the ordinary fellow might be if he would learn to think straight and be content to reap only where he had sown. They and their wives, women who looked like parrots or bulldogs, most of them, <laughs> were so humorless and, except when they were drunk, so cross that I thought the ordinary fellow was lucky not to be like them. I really like that. Oh, yeah. That's like, that should be on posters and stuff. Like, yeah. we should, like, do it. It's just, <laughs> do it. This is Make what making poster. money is. <laughs> it is. Well, I've been, I've been trying to write new comedy stuff and. I've got all these little bits underneath the category of, like, just not being a great fit for capitalism, you know? Yeah. Coming to terms with the fact, like, (laughs) I'm not a bad person, (laughs) and neither are you. It's just some people are more (laughs) well-suited to this particular system, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean you're better or worse it just yeah. means that this system happens to serve you and what you're doing more than other things that yeah. other people are doing <laughs> but we're so tra- our minds are so t- trained to think in that capitalistic way yeah that you realize like oh he's going to seem more successful than this other guy because we've been trained mm-hmm. that that is his hard work and yeah. value, even though... That we all had a level playing ground. Yeah. We all could have made the same investments right. or gotten the same jobs or mm-hmm. gone to the same schools. And that our society would work if we were all doing that. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> That's the flaw. That's the reason things aren't working out is because not everybody is putting in their own hard work. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we... Uh, Oh, that's it's too big of a discussion. But here's, <laughs> but here's why. Uh, there's there's a whole thought opened up by mm-hmm. that by their difference of ways of living. He's yeah. like the, well, thanks for giving me the advice on the money. I'll take it and mm-hmm. keep myself in my modest means my whole life so that I'm not a burden to anyone. And I'll give yeah. to people and take care of people when I need to. And. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but Percy's just like, I want to be in politics. Mm-hmm. I want to own more things. Yeah. Um, 
he wants the best things. He wants to wear the best things mm-hmm. and have the biggest house and everything. His and wife to do be the right kind of wife. Yes. His son the right kind of son. His right. daughter the right kind of daughter. And hey, another spoiler alert. It does not work out <laughs> great <laughs> for the boy family. No. Um, so the verdict is still out about who made the best choices. <laughs> But uh, it did not go well for the boy family. Um, I mean, it did for a majority of his life. But Mm -hmm. it is interesting what... So there was a few things I was focused on. One was the boy, a boy is a man. Mm -hmm. Like, because I'm thinking about the whole thing being set up in that first little scene. Yeah. And the boy is a man and him defending himself and all of that is he's looking back at this life and being like, I need to mm-hmm. grapple with all of this too. Yeah. How can you see me this way when I've lived this whole life? Mm-hmm. And and thinking about someone who's been to war, lost a leg, traveled with a circus, traveled the world, mm-hmm. written a whole bunch of books, taught a whole bunch of people. Yeah, You know, it's miraculous and still Mm -hmm. coming across as strange and doddering (laughs) and that's a whole other concept to explore so I'm curious Mm -hmm. how does it go on like what it what characters does it follow or does it start back in Deptford what what happens um so the second book in the series the manticore the main character is boy Staunton's son and oh David mm-hmm. oh yeah as he I think it's it's written as his journal as he is oh, undergoing shit. psychoanalysis like Jungian psychoanalysis what? yeah oh my god and then World of Wonders the final book is Paul Dempster's life story what and how in his life and how he became, you know, everything that we see him in Fifth Business. Oh my God, it's good stuff. And we and like the and how like, have I missed this? You see so Dunstan and you see Liza, like you see people yes, in yes, the background, yes. but he's not the writer anymore. It's from different, like the I think World oh of God, Wonders is just kind brilliant. of like a narrator, just a regular third person. But is he still alive? He died in like ninety five. Oh yeah. R. I. P. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe I'm just finding out about these books. And when Mm -hmm. am I going to fit them in? (laughs) You know, because you want to... I get it. It's like watching a show. If I know there's six episodes, I really want to see them. I can leave this with you. (gasps) What? Oh my god! I have given so away exciting. more copies of the Deptford trilogy. Really, <laughs> I've had a few books that I've given away a lot of too. Yeah. You can go through mine if you want. Um, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> I the twist at the end was so. Well, I guess the twist at the end affects everybody in the next two books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look oh, at oh shit. Like the the top of the whole back of oh. the trilogy is just who killed boy who killed boy Staunton. It's the oh central mystery of the trilogy. Oh, and it's so weird, and it's so shoved right in there at yeah. the end. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. 
Okay, so before we wrap up, is there anything you want to talk about about him pushing for her to be a saint, mm-hmm. his getting back together with with Paul and mm-hmm. that circus relationship? Any mm-hmm. effects of war, heroism? Here, Here's the most fascinating uh, parallel okay. that happens. Is that that I just read about, and so okay. I'm like, this is really interesting, and I would have never picked up on it. So the reason that Mary Dempster is a whore mm-hmm. is because she gives of herself when someone needs her. Mm-hmm. And later, when Leola Cruikshanks asks the same thing from Dunstan, he won't do it. She needs someone to see her like as a real person. And... It's the exact kind of situation that had been... I don't know how much you want to give away about any of their <laughs> lives. No, I'm just trying to... Okay, so Mary, the simple-minded mother of Paul yes. Dimster, who's hit in the head with a rock in the first scene, is shamed because she's found at the gravel pit with mm-hmm. a tramp mm-hmm. having sex. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of put out of the community. Yeah. And she says, like, mm-hmm. he really asked and he needed it. Yeah. Like, it was not rape. Right. He he just really seemed like he needed uh, he needed it. Yeah. And so she said, okay. Right. And and it's like, a, it's a very strange kind of simple It is. Thing. I'm like, oh, I know chicks like that. <laughs> 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 They're like, I got nothing yeah. going on. Uh-huh. And then later, got nothing to do. And like we actually, we there's more to that story that like the effects of her decision on herself and on the tramp. And then, but later, boys, then wife Leola, is just despairing, and asks Dunstan to sleep with her because she right. feels like she's falling apart and that would somehow solve it. And he says no. Because he's loyal to his friend. And I think he also likes that she, you know, asked mm. a little bit. But he says no, and Leola does not do well <laughs> with no. that uh, rejection. Yeah. So it's it's just like a really interesting... I don't know what that means, but it's such a clear parallel. And the fact right. that he he continues to not emulate his his saint. Oh, my God. I just <laughs> wait. What was the Saint Dunny known for? Saint Dunstan was known for what? Well, I was thinking emulating Mary Dempster. Oh, okay. okay Dunstan, okay. I don't know what he did other than like apparently he got the devil's nose in some tongs and twisted it. <laughs> oh, was that why he did it twice? Oh yeah. my God, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um. Oh shit! I think I just lost my train of thought. I can edit this out. Cool. God, can I get it back? Please, please. It was we were about, talking about the Leola and Dempster. Oh, I know what it was. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> There's a scene where uh, finally Paul Dempster and the magician. Wait a minute. 
there's a scene where Dunny and Boy and the magician, formerly known as Paul Dimster, <laughs> are in the room together for the first time in years and years and years. And, and they is that wonderful, delicious thing that happens where you, the audience, know and two people in the scene know, but one person doesn't know. <laughs> Boy doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And all I could think about was, do you know that? Phil Collins song that everybody always says he invited somebody to the audience I can hear it (laughs) coming in the air and and he's like slowly leading him Uh into the fact of like don't you know who I am (laughs) used to call my mother a whore And he's come to the show, and he came back, and he's like, oh, I knew you were here. Uh Oh, yeah, and then you came back again, right? (laughs) Yeah, I knew where you were sitting. Like, ooh, I was like, ooh, this scene is juicy. It's everything you want it to be. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. (laughs) It's like the real housewife circus version, like Mm -hmm. the drama, the Mm -hmm. side drama. Yes. Oh, my God, and then he writes this whole, oh, there's so much. Okay. Whew, I think we need to wrap up, okay. but um, I just cannot thank you enough for introducing me to this author that I just cannot believe. <laughs> I'm sure everybody has authors like that. We're like, yeah. you can't believe you ever read this yet. <laughs> um, I love it. I would highly I recommend so it. I am so uh, glad. And we'll hopefully, well, I'll probably get to him. Because I'm a madman and it's winter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What are you reading right now? Oh, Lord. My reading has gotten so out of hand. What I just finished was A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. Okay. By George Saunders. Oh. Which, where he breaks down seven different short stories by, like, you know, classic Russian authors and just... He he breaks them down like like a writer would for you know the different effects of this scene on that and and why did this person do this and what do you think you know is it over yet I don't know I love that idea yeah it's great okay if I I like I like literary criticism that tells me why things are good yeah <laughs> I yeah. can't always create it myself sure you know but I love I love it when. Yeah. When someone smart tells me why something else is good. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Because you're like, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it was something about that. <laughs> I'm like you. We think the same. That's right. That's how I like to feel. Um, I'm going to edit out that big pause, too. <laughs> so much editing from my friend Paul. Um, Kate is in the Ann Arbor Civic Theater home team improv group and next saturday or this coming saturday january 29th 29th at the civic theater space i'm not sure i would i would check out civic's facebook page because information it comes when it comes and i have some of it sure Uh, sure but yeah, I'm in one of I'm the in the group called the Insufferables. Oh, and because there are two, and the the schedule is TBD, but sure, sure. there should be at least six shows. <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, sounds yeah. about right. Mm-hmm. Sounds like theater the way we like it. Oh yeah, just well fast and, and loose. Nelly, well and nelly. <laughs> 
Thanks so much for listening. Please let us know what you're reading and check out this book and let us know what you think. And uh, that's all. Bye. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Bye. Bye.